we still got music playing. Interesting. <laughs> That's good. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I'm going to do the announcements back here to stay in the shade. I don't know if y'all um, have noticed the weather today, but we've got some blankets at the hub in case it gets a little chilly. You want to warm up a little bit this morning? Uh, that would be excellent. Hey, just a couple of quick announcements. Um, next Sunday, we will not be here. We will be just down the road at our friends Warren and Marcy White's house, uh, where we will be doing our baptism and baby dedication and brunch. Uh, and we would love for you all to join that. We have some people who are going to be baptized and some babies that will be dedicated. Uh, we will provide kind of a main course. We'll have some chicken, some fried chicken for us. That will be delicious. Um, we're asking folks to bring a dish to pass, and we'll provide uh, drinks as well. So if you could bring a dish and a, and a seat and a blanket so you can have a picnic and come enjoy next Sunday just down the road on John Beers here at Warren and Marcy White's. Um, and then... Also, this month, our Love Changes Lives efforts are going towards Ready Taekwondo. Grandmaster Smith, will you stand up real quick and just wave and say hi? So this is Grandmaster Al Smith. He runs Ready Taekwondo, yes. Um, he uh, would love to answer any questions that you might have about Ready. And so uh, you, you, can, uh, you can find him after the service, or you can connect with me and any questions about that. We have a matching gift up to $5,000 for that. So all the money we collect over the next couple weeks is going to go towards Ready Taekwondo and will be matched as well. And then if you would like to get connected and uh, getting more information about what we do and why we do it, you can fill out an info card at the hub, one of these two tables here, and we'll get connected. Have a wonderful Sunday.
guys so good good morning I'm moving this over here so my stuff doesn't burn up in the sun but hey that would not be good so good morning it's good to be together I have to tell you I get so excited when the band when we as we figure out the music that we're gonna do every week because you know I have a little bit to say about it sometimes and I love I just love when Morgan sings Fleetwood Mac isn't that just amazing it's so good thank you thank you so much guys so I've been noticing a few things about myself lately, and so I'm just going to start off with a couple of confessions this morning, all right? Apparently, this has been brought to my attention. This is one of the joys of having young adult children back in the home for a short amount of time. They notice things about you that maybe your wife has given up mentioning, okay? So anyways, apparently I talk a lot about my ailments, okay? Like... You know, my bad knees, my stiff back, my weak eyesight, my tennis elbow. My daughter reminded me, Dad, you don't even play tennis. So this is bad, right? And um, I remember growing up hearing people talk about that. A certain kind of person talk about their ailments. Really old people do that, right? Like really old. And then it just hit me. Like, am I old? Wait a second, that can't be. Now, if you're thinking no, Mike, you're not old, then you're old, okay? And if you're thinking, yeah, you're old, Mike, then you're a jerk. That's what I say, okay? 
Now, it won't catch you by surprise that if I'm talking about my ailments, my second favorite subject is the weather, right? And so isn't this beautiful? I love this. A little bit too warm for me. I like anywhere from like, I have a huge, wide range of temperatures that I enjoy now from 72 to 75. Anything else is just a terrible day. And so I'm, I'm just going to bear with this. But some, here's what I've noticed about talking about the weather with people now that this has become a huge topic of conversation for me. And it's this, winter, all right? There's, all, there's always one person in a crowd who likes winter, but everyone else hates it. We all hate winter. And if you're that one person, just keep it to yourself, okay? We don't want to hear about it, all right? You like bobsledding or something like that, something crazy. Some people will say this, that spring or fall is their favorite season, but no one dislikes summer. We all love summer. I mean, this is awesome, right? Church outside, church with no walls, but it's more than just about the temperature, I think. I, I think in summer, there's a few things going on. School is out, we vacation in the summer, we all get three months off from work in the summer. Okay, so maybe that's just me, all right, and some teachers, but come on. Even those of us who still have to work in the summer, we love summer because, this is my theory, it's when all the best celebrations are taking place in life right? Like weddings and receptions and showers, commencement ceremonies, retirement and graduation parties, they usually all happen in the summer. Now, cultural anthropologists have a name for these kinds of celebrations, for these particular kinds of celebrations. And they're not, I'm not talking about government holidays. I'm not talking about religious holy days, okay? But there's a certain kind of celebration that are all, they're centered around human progress, human growth, or, or movement forward, or change. And these are called rites of passage. And every culture and society, near and far, uh, modern and ancient, have them. We have them, the ancient Egyptians had them, everybody has them. Now sometimes they're quite detailed and very formal. Uh, like a rite of passage, a wedding is a type of rite of passage. It can be very formal. Some of them are really festive and fun. When I lived in Los Angeles, I was constantly invited to students of mine having their quinceanera. So this would be a, a, a Latina girl turning 15. The first one I went to, I was like, this is way bigger than any prom or wedding I've ever been to. I mean, it's a big deal. Very festive, okay? But they all have this same theme in common. Rites of passage are associated with starting over. They mark a, 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 the beginning of the next season of life. Now next weekend, we have a very special Sunday planned. It is, frankly, a rite of passage. That's what it is. And we do this once every year, usually in the summer, on one of our fifth Sundays. And, and so we come together, we're going to come together next Sunday to celebrate baby dedications and child dedications, and that's a rite of passage for parents, actually. That's who that's for, and that, that's what that's about. It's this public declaration from parents that they are going to attempt to raise their child in a home and a family that's to, committed to living in and living out the grace of God, okay? And it includes a, a communal response from us, like, we will support you in that sacred and difficult endeavor. And then after the dedications, we're going to move on to some baptisms. 
And there is, unfortunately, way too much complication surrounding baptism. Uh, um, you know, there are some people who get really uptight about exactly who does it, how it's done, what's said, you know, where it's done, sprinkle or dunk, or it's a, I mean, the, the politics to baptism, it's all over the place, right? Now, you might be surprised to know that that isn't us. We don't really try to complicate things if we don't have to, right? But I would like to reflect on a couple of principles around baptism because I believe that it really can be this, this beautiful rite of passage for us. It's a really cool invitation into what could be next. So let me say this before we jump in on baptism. Some of us were baptized as infants. Others were baptized as children. I'm sure many of us have never been baptized at all. But I, I want to say something about those of, those, those of us who've been baptized in the past. In, in no way in what I'm talking about this morning am I hinting that those baptisms don't count. Okay? But I do want to suggest this. If in any way your baptism doesn't matter to you, then maybe you're missing out on something that God is trying to give you through this rite of passage. And I just ask you to consider that as we reflect on baptism. Okay, so here we go. Now, no matter how you slice it, this uh, baptism is a rite of passage that follows conversion. Now that is a big word, right? It's a, it's a word, it's a controversial word. It's a word, frankly, we don't like to talk about. And so uh, let's take a closer look at this word conversion. What is it? How does it happen? And what does it mean? Well, we're going to use one example from the Bible. This happens in the book of Acts, chapter 10. And it's the conversion of a man named Cornelius. And in this passage, Cornelius is explaining to Jesus' number one disciple, a man named Peter. He's explaining to him, why he sent for him, okay? And this is what the Bible says. Cornelius said, four days ago, I was home praying, and suddenly there was an angel, and he flooded the room with light. And he said to me, Cornelius, your daily prayers and neighborly acts have been brought to God's attention. I want you to send for Peter. And so I did, and now you've come. You've been good enough to come. And now we're all here in God's presence, ready to listen to whatever the master has put on your heart, Peter. And Peter exploded with this good news. He said, it's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. I now know God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God, the door is open. The message he sent to the, at first to the children of Israel that through Jesus, everything is being put back together again. Well, he's now doing that everywhere with everyone. It's beautiful. It's so cool. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And then Peter said, do I hear any objections to baptizing these friends? So the way of Jesus at first and for a very, very long time, hundreds of years, in fact, at its most powerful, its most potent, and its most vital, it grew through conversion. 
through conversion. It was not originally a collection of doctrines, of belief statements about God or about Jesus. That took hundreds of years to figure out. Sometimes a thousand years or more to figure out. Some people would argue we still haven't figured that out. Okay, but at first it was not this collection of doctrines that you have to believe. It was not a set of practices that you had to do. It was, and it certainly was not a religion that one like took up. It was a converting power that took you up. You didn't adopt it. It came to you, so to speak. So long before the way of Jesus was called Christianity, long before it was seen or certainly before it thought of itself as a specific religion, it was experienced as a conversion, a conversion. Jesus hinted at this himself in Matthew chapter 8. Here's what he said. Unless you are converted, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now, the word converted is it's like, okay, wow, that's, that's a big deal. What in the world is he talking about there? So hear me out on this, okay? The word converted literally means, in the original Latin, to turn around. It, just, it means to face a new direction. You were going this way, now you're going this way. That's conversion, okay? It means to go a brand new direction. Now, this is really important to understand because if we don't, we might miss this beautiful and powerful gift that Jesus is inviting us to accept. He is not saying, until you get your life together, God won't accept you. He's not, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, God is somehow withholding the kingdom of God from everyone who isn't converted. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. He is saying, unless you turn around, you won't accept the God who has already accepted you. That's what he's saying. Unless you turn around, you will not see the goodness of the God who's already accepted you. Now, to a large extent, the rest of what I'm going to talk about is kind of unpacking that. What does he mean by that? Okay? So I, I think of it, here's one way to think of it. The world's fastest person can run as fast as they can as far as they can but if he's running west he'll never see the sunrise fastest person in the world running as fast as he can as far as he can if he's pointed west he'll never see the sunrise he's facing the wrong direction he's looking in the wrong place for it okay so conversion is simply hey stop buddy Turn around. You're running in the wrong direction. The sun rises on everyone, everywhere, every day. It's all grace. Stop. Turn around. Soak it in. That's what he's trying to say. This is why Jesus says in another place something really strange. He says, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. He's saying... Seeing the kingdom isn't this achievement for those who have it all together. It isn't some reward or this offer for those who dot every I, cross every T, and believe all the right things. It's an awareness that God is a God of grace. 
that he's on our side. So this is the first thing to see about conversion. It's a change of direction from trying to earn God's love to simply enjoying it. Simply enjoying it. The second thing to recognize is this. Conversion comes through God's initiative. Now, I know it doesn't seem this way, so let me flesh this out a little bit. Peter asked Cornelius, why did you send for me? And Cornelius basically answered like this, I sent for you, Peter, because God sent for me. This angel appeared. I had this amazing thing happen to me. And so I sent for you. Now, it's not typical to be visited by an angel, okay, before conversion. In fact, I know a lot of beautiful stories of how people came to faith, how they came to trust in the grace of God, and none of them include an angel, all right? But all of them are really, really cool in their own way. But as we often see, here's what we're going to often see in conversion. At some point, what you realize is that what you first thought was your search for God you realize somewhere along the way, he's been searching for me. He started looking for me way before I started looking for him. For example, if I could tell you the story of my conversion, what I would call season, okay, because it wasn't some big magical event for me. It was six to 12 months of turning, slowly turning. I was about 17 or 18 years old. And had you asked me, you know, how did that happen, Mike? I would have said something like, well, by my senior year of high school, I, I realized that I probably wasn't going to be going to the NBA. And I, I know this is a shock to you guys. You look at me and you're like, wow, really? But I, in high school, I was much shorter than this. But I will say this. I was also very slow, okay? And so that's a bad combination, small and slow and turnover prone, my coach would say. But anyways, um, my life kind of slid off its axis, like everything I was pointing towards, everything I was running for, the direction I was moving, I realized it wasn't going to work. And as I realized that, I needed that I needed to find, I knew I needed to find a new way. And so I began searching. Now, that eventually led me to a weekend camp in Cassopolis on, on a lakeshore praying to God. But if you ask me now, how did this happen? How was I converted? Now I see that through my family, that God, through my family, through young life, through my young life leader, through a family that took me to church, through nature, God was searching for me. God was searching for me. In retrospect, I now see that I didn't find God. He found me. You see, this ache that we have for something deeper, for something that will last, for peace and purpose. This is a desire for God and it comes from God. He's the one who gives us that ache and that desire. One of the ways that we've said it in the past was a sense of God's absence is a sign of God's presence in our life. Is that you? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Are you tired or worn out or burned out? Do you sense something is missing or wrong or off? Do you somehow know what I mean when I say that long before God invites you to follow him, 
you now know he's been following you? Well, if you know that, the Bible has a name for that, and it's called conversion. You are being turned around. That's what's happening in you and to you, and that is something to celebrate. It's something to acknowledge. That kind of change of direction and that kind of new awareness deserves a rite of passage. A rite of passage would be a gift from God to you in a season of life like that. Another point to consider. Conversion comes through, and this is going to sound weird, but it comes through the destruction of religion. It comes through the destruction of religion. Cornelius says, four days ago I was praying and this angel came. Now I want you to look at how amazing and stunning this is, okay? Realize what the angel said. This is, let me summarize what the angel said. Hey, Cornelius, we've been up in heaven. We've been watching your life. You are the man. You are amazing. You're kind. You're good. You're generous. You're moral. You don't make mistakes. You use your position of power for justice and mercy. Wow. Good for you. Now, what we think the angel should say is, good for you. You're in. Here's your ticket. But he doesn't. The angel says all of that, and he follows it up with this. You need to be converted. You need to be converted. You need to turn around and believe. Accept your acceptance. Trust in the goodness of God. It's a really shocking thing to say, but it is a gift. This is the same thing that happened, by the way, to another man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. This is a more famous story. Nicodemus, he was also a really great guy. Really good guy. He's humble. He was accomplished. He was religious. And he goes to Jesus and he says, Master, we know you've come from heaven. So how does Jesus respond to Nicodemus? Does he say, hey, Nick, look, man, you're a good guy. You're religious. You're kind. You're moral. Here's your ticket. You're in. No. That's not what he said. He said to Nicodemus, in maybe one of the most famous phrases in the history of the world, you must be born again. You must be born again. It's like Jesus is saying, I really don't care how religious you are. That's not what this is about. The life that I'm offering you isn't about how fast you can run west. That's never going to work. It's not about how good you can be because that's never going to work. Stop running in the wrong direction. Be converted. Turn around. Let's start over.
guys they had to be thinking starting over like what in the world are you talking about Jesus being born again I mean I get that for people that are messed up you know I get that for people who just you know have just been jerks their whole life but me you know I, I'm like I'm pulled together I, I'm a good person in fact, well, I love bringing the dogs to the park. This is so great. By the way, we cannot, we've asked St. Joe High School, we cannot bring them to the high school. And that's a bummer. Anyways, good girl, Laika. Laika's right back here in the middle. She's my new friend back there. So anyways, Cornelius and, and, uh, Cornelius and Nicodemus, they have to be thinking, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean starting over? What do you mean being born again? Cornelius and Nicodemus are as good and as religious as any human being can be. People, we can't be better, a better person than Nicodemus or Cornelius. That's the point. That's why that these two are being used in, the, in these stories. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's trying to give us something. We can never earn or deserve what can only be received. And when you try to earn it or deserve it, you'll ruin it. You'll ruin it. Have you ever been in a relationship where you had to constantly earn the other person's love? The other person's love, air quotes, right? Guess what? It's not love if you have to earn it. If you have to get it right, if you have to do it right, if you can't make mistakes, if you, can, if you can't have doubts, if you sleep in, if you mess up, if the love stops, it wasn't love in the first place. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's saying you're, if you're trying to earn love from people or from God, it's like chasing the setting sun. No one's fast enough. No one's good enough. 
So to be invited by God to just stop. Stop. Turn around. Accept your acceptance. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it just feel good just even hearing it? Just accept your acceptance. This is a great gift of grace that Jesus is trying to give us. Yesterday, I saw this played out in an unbelievably powerful way. I had this, this sacred honor of speaking at Megan Reifenberg's Celebration of Life service. She died one week ago today. 23 years old. Beautiful and brilliant young lady. Horrible, tragic accident. Dies at 23. And to hear her siblings and her mother, it was truly just one of the most powerful and inspiring things that I've ever been a part of. Really. And as each of them shared about Megan and her life, and how she lived with so much love. It was just so clear to me. Like, I was like, I wish I had known her better. Like, I wanted to be around her. Like, that is magnetic. When you're around somebody like that, you know there's something different about them. Somehow, some way, at some point in her young life, Megan stopped. She just stopped chasing the setting sun. And she turned around and just soaked in the love of God. And she was transformed into this unbelievable source of grace in the life of everybody fortunate enough to know her. It was such a powerful, powerful service. So many people. And they're saying the same thing. Her story reminded me so much of what we're, trying, what we're talking about here. She had this amazing awareness of God's grace is within all of us. It's shining on all of us already. And her life was an amazing example of what happens through us when we change directions. And stop trying to earn what God's trying to give us. And then just share it with our life. And a really, really incredible book called The Art of Loving. A world-renowned psychologist, a man named Eric Fromm, he wrote a number of books that have been very helpful to me, Escape from Freedom in particular. But this book is called The Art of Loving. And he talks about those who are stunted by life and those who are a source of life. And it comes down to this. This is how he sees it. If we're spending our time, if the focus and energy of our life is our attempt, and, and usually these attempts are subtle, they're often subconscious, but nonetheless, they're very real. If our life is our attempt to be loved, to be loved, to be lovable, it's going to be a disaster. We're going to be stunted. But he, has, he says there's another option. There's another way to live. There's another direction to run in life. 
we can turn around and run the opposite direction and we can be consumed with, determined to be, focused on and passionate about being loving. About being loving. Are we all about being lovable or about loving? That's the difference between being stunted and being a source of life and grace. One direction will haunt us. It will slowly drive us into the ground. And the other one, we become a beacon of light for everybody that knows us. The quest to be lovable, to be fast enough, good enough, rich enough, skinny enough, young enough, religious enough, is the path of destruction. It's running west trying to find the sunrise. It sucks the life out of us and everyone around us. And even, even on the days when we're winning that race, when we're like out in front of everybody else chasing this sunset, looking for a sunrise, we're going to lose eventually. We're never going to get there. But to be converted is to, is, is to realize God already loves us. There's nothing we can do to get God on our side. He's already on our side. And it, stopping and turning around, accepting our acceptance, soaking in the sunrise. And when that happens, something fundamental and elemental changes in us. And like dear, sweet Megan, our life takes on another direction, another mission entirely. It is no longer about, am I lovable? What must I do to belong or to be loved? It is about who do I get to become, to be love. That's a completely different way to live. So Jesus' call to conversion, it's not a have to, it's a get to. It's not him wagging his finger at us, it's him with his arms open wide. Please, please come and become yourself. It's beautiful. It's not a call to religion, what we can earn or achieve through our goodness or our best efforts. That is just a relational dysfunction on a cosmic level when we get into that kind of a relationship with God and it's called hell for a reason. This is why Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to end them. He came to end them. So baptism isn't some magical religious ceremony that when we check this box, now all of a sudden God will make the sun shine on us. That's already happening. The sun is shining. The sun rises on everyone, everywhere, every day, all the time. It's already happening. So baptism isn't about what must I do, God, for you to shine your light on me. That's already happening. Baptism is simply the acknowledgement that I'm stopping, I'm turning around, and I'm soaking in the love. It isn't something that we have to do. It's something we get to do. We get to do it. And that's why, and this is my last point, that's why Jesus himself was baptized. That's why he himself went through this rite of passage. Let's close with this last thought. Think about this. The first thing that happened to Jesus when he came out of the water of baptism, waters of baptism is this. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. 
With him, I am well pleased. Think about this. What had Jesus done at that point? At that point in his life, what had he done? What had he accomplished? What had he achieved? What had he successfully fulfilled or earned? Here's the answer. Nothing. Not a thing. Nothing. That's the point, people. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus is baptized too. Can you see the beauty of all of it? Jesus wasn't qualified. He hadn't earned anything. And yet God already loved him simply because Jesus is his. Jesus was baptized before he lived this amazing life of love. Baptism isn't an award. It's not an achievement. It's not a reward. It's the beginning of the next season of life and a new direction to be loving. That's what makes God a God of grace, not a God of merit, not the God of rules, not the God of religion, but a God of grace. He loves us because we're his. We are lovable because he loves us. His love for us makes us lovable when we accept it, and that frees us and inspires us to make our life finally about loving. That's conversion. It's it's beautiful invitation. My goodness, when you're around people like that, someone like that who stopped and turned around, accepted God's love and grace, and now lives to give it away, we know it. And that's what I heard yesterday. That's what everybody heard yesterday at Megan's Celebration of Life service. This was a young woman who knew she was loved and she flipped the script on life. To be all about loving. That is conversion. Now if you've never heard the voice, the voice of someone you love and admire deeply, who you respect more than anyone, say to you, you, are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. With you, I am well pleased. If you don't know what it is to be immersed in that kind of love, to put to death all the crazy striving for perfection, all the hustling to be good enough, and then to rise again into grace, the unearned, undeserved, unconditional, full, total, complete, and reckless love of God, then Jesus' invitation to you is clear. Stop. Just stop. Turn around. Believe you're loved. And be baptized. In a beautiful rite of passage, this isn't something we earn or achieve. There is no ticket. We just simply get on board. Oh!
Beautiful. So this is the invitation of Jesus. It, to us, it is to repent, to, to believe, and be baptized. The way I tried to put it this morning, it is to stop living in this never-ending quest to be loved, turn around, accept the love that you have already been given by God, and that we could never earn anyway, and trust in that love that God has for us. Celebrate all of that with baptism. Baptism is, is the way that we allow all of these old ways to die. We bury them. We immerse ourselves in the love of God and rise again into the real mission of life. Not to somehow be lovable, but to be loving. To become love. Living like that, as I was so powerfully reminded yesterday by Megan, can transform us. And it can transform even death into a rite of passage, into the beginning of the next season of life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time in this place and this opportunity to be together. And we thank you for your invitation to stop chasing what we can never catch to turn around and soak in the light of your love and move forward in life, no longer striving to be lovable, but loving to love. And we're thankful that in baptism, you've given us a rite of passage to mark and celebrate this new direction. I'm gonna pray this morning, especially for the family of Megan. We ask that you surround them with your love. Comfort them with the knowledge that she lives on with you and with and through them. I pray you give each of them a glimpse, give each of us a glimpse of what she had and this passion to live life on your mission to love the world right again. As we leave this morning, I pray that you'd help us to grow and remain open alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. If you have any questions about the, the dedications, the baptisms next week, we're going to meet right over here. Let's meet over here in the shade, and uh, I'll be all right over here. Have a good day. See you next week.